don't know if um, how many of you saw the terrible scenes in Denmark's game with Finland last night. When Christian Eriksen, who's a very well-known footballer, he just collapsed. And you know, I think a lot of people thought he had died. You know, they were doing CPR, you know, actually on the field of play. But what struck me was, you know, thankfully he's awake and he's, he's stable in hospital, but was how many people said they were praying. You know, people who have, who, who probably not even profess any belief in God said that they were praying. There must have been millions of people praying, from those who knew him, from, from those who know God, and from those who don't. And it just struck me, it just struck me that in moments of man's extremity, there is an instinct to appeal to God. To appear to appeal to God. We continue to pray for the man's recovery above all that he would know God through the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. I know what it is that you are hoping for from Boris Johnson's announcement tomorrow. We've been building up to it for a long time. And it seems likely, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm no prophet, there'll probably be a four-week delay, won't there, or something like that, two weeks to get more people vaccinated in two, two weeks. I don't know, I don't know, but a lot of people have been waiting for it because the 21st of June has been billed as Freedom Day. And I think there'll be a lot of people who'll be disappointed tomorrow. But above all, I just felt really encouraged this morning because... God is on the throne. And it's not a question of whether Jesus will do anything. He has. He has won the victory over death. He is alive to die no more. And he is king. I listened to a little clip, I just played it to you this morning, of Billy Graham. And Billy Graham, when he preached, he used as one of his illustrations, the coronation of our Queen in 1953. And the Archbishop of Canterbury said, when he put the, the crown on the Queen's head, about the Queen wearing it until the one to whom it belonged returned. I had no idea that at the Queen's coronation, it is lending the Queen the crown until Jesus returns. But what, what an amazing thing that, you know, that even in our systems we acknowledge Jesus is King and he's coming again. So that whatever happens tomorrow, Jesus is still the King and Jesus is on the throne and we have no need to be afraid. So I just, I just trust that would encourage you as much as it encouraged me this morning that Jesus is on the throne and he's coming back. Hallelujah. But this morning, we're beginning a short series. I'm taking a break from the study of Genesis to look into Jesus' teaching just for a few weeks, especially in the summer months leading up to the convention on the parable of the sower. And the teaching of the Lord Jesus in the parable of the sower, or the four soils, as it's sometimes known, is helpful in pressing home the urgency of personally dealing with the risen Christ as he speaks to us in his word. The parable of the sower is the only parable of the Lord Jesus recorded in all 
three synoptic gospels. And the synoptic gospels is Matthew, Mark and Luke. And its special importance is further underlined in Mark's version of the parable, Mark 4.13, where our Lord prefaces, prefaces his interpretation of it by asking, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? In other words, the parable of the sower is a parable about parables. It is teaching about teaching. It is the word of the Lord that explains the character of the ministry of the word of the Lord. Its message, therefore, is not particularly obscure or difficult to discern. It is clearly on the surface of things an analysis of the different responses of the human heart to the ministry of the word of the gospel. And as such, it has two primary lines of application. So first of all, the parable of the sower is intended to help the perplexed disciples understand why it is that people respond very differently to the same message. Even when that message is preached by the greatest preacher who has ever lived, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Because we would think, wouldn't we, automatically, that if Jesus preached, everyone would have fallen on their face, wouldn't they? We would have thought. So the parable is clarifying, comforting and assuring for Christians who are on mission for Jesus, who preach and share and witness and yet meet with different responses to the same message. And the second application is to challenge every one of us who hears the gospel, whether we're Christians or not, to make sure that the soil of our hearts is well-tilled, freshly tilled, receptive to the message, lest it fail to bear fruit in our lives. Luke concludes his with, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So we need to make sure the seed that is sown doesn't fall uselessly on our ears, on our consciences, in our hearts. We're going to take time this morning to consider some general observations about the parable as a whole. And then, Lord willing, we'll come back in the weeks ahead to look at each one of the four soils in turn. And consider the different ways that our hearts react to the ministry of God's word. To help our thinking in a few moments, I'm going to ask four questions. With obvious and simple, simple answers. What is the seed that is sown? By whom is the seed sown? How is the seed sown? And where is the seed sown? So, what, by whom, how, and where? Let's pray together before we read God's word. Lord, before us is a parable about how our hearts respond to your word. I pray the Holy Spirit would till the soil of our hearts that they would be receptive as the seed of the word of God is planted in our hearts, that we would bear much fruit. Holy Spirit, give me the words to speak well of Jesus, in whose name I pray. Amen. The words will come up above, I think, are they? Okay, yeah. So it's Matthew 13. If you have your Bibles, Matthew 13, or you can follow along on the screen. It's the parable of the sower. That same day, Jesus went out of the house 
and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. When the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, with their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your eyes, ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and another thirty. Amen. We thank the Lord he's spoken to us in his holy word. We share the gospel with our friends. We may bring them to somewhere like the Keswick Convention. We may bring them to church to hear the word preached. We give them Christian books. We pray for them. We think about their objections. We find strong arguments in defence of the truth. We can pour ourselves out in the work of evangelism, loving our friends and our neighbours with the good news about Jesus. And still they do not believe. How do you account for that? Well, Matthew 13, at this point in the Gospel record, the disciples were confronted with that same reality of rejection. Because in chapter 10, Jesus had sent them out, if you remember, to preach, to witness, to evangelise. 
unless they went in the mistaken impression that they would be riding on a crest of universal welcome, Jesus told them that they were being sent out like sheep in the midst of wolves. And he said in verse 17 of the previous chapter, Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues. That's not very exciting, is it? Sheep among wolves, flogging in the synagogues. And I wonder if the disciples were perhaps a little nervous about the ongoing work of evangelism, of telling people about Jesus. But that's the response Jesus was telling them to encounter. Mixed responses at best. And then in Matthew 11 we have an account of Jesus' own preaching ministry. And what do we find? That even under the preaching of the Messiah himself, very many who heard him were not converted. Matthew eleven twenty one. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. People did not respond uniformly with equal acceptance of the gospel, not even under the ministry of the Lord Jesus. So the question arises, why does the gospel not work for everyone? Surely the results should be guaranteed. So where does the fault lie? Is it the message? Have we misunderstood the content of the gospel? Or is it a fault with the messenger? Some flaw of personality, some quirk of temperament, some speech impediment that is hindering gospel effectiveness. Or maybe the method is defective. So maybe we need to go back to the drawing board and think up strategies and revised techniques that will reach a new generation. There could be legitimacy in some of those concerns, at least when it comes down to our own evangelism, because that is going to be flawed. But none of the questions really work when you consider the results that were attendant on the ministry of the Lord Jesus. You could never suggest that the responses to his preaching had to do with him. Misunderstanding his message or his personality or some failure of method. So how do you account for the mixed results that come from the proclamation of the gospel? And that's what the question is that Jesus answers in the parable of the sower. In verses 1 to 9, Jesus delivers the parable. Standing on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Verse 18 to 23, he gives his own exposition of the parable. When he's alone with his disciples. And the simple metaphor is a farmer sowing seed in the field. So the first question for Jesus in his teaching here is, what is the seed the farmer is sowing? What is the seed? What does the seed represent? Well, look at verses 18 and 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, that is what is being sown. Mark says it even more simply, the sower sows the word. What is the seed? It is the word of God. It is the word of the kingdom. It is the message of Jesus Christ. The farmer can till the soil. The farmer can purchase the best tractors, the best tools, the best gadgets. He can do the best irrigation. He can do any number of important, necessary things. 
But if he doesn't sow the seed, there will never be a harvest. There are any number of things that we can do to reach out that have value, that will prepare the ground. We can cultivate meaningful relationships with non-Christians. We can engage in mercy ministry. We can practice hospitality. We can work at being better neighbours. But unless we sow the word of the Lord, there will never be a harvest. No one will ever be converted without the gospel message. No one. You can feed hungry bellies. You can help fearful hearts. You can untangle broken relationships. You can do good works. But unless you have to understand that they will do not one, that will not result in one single sinner passing from death to life unless that sinner hears and believes the good news about Jesus. The seed is the word of God. And unless the seed of the word is sown, there will not be a harvest. You can find it on Google, I think. I, I looked at it this week. But there was a, I remember when I was a child hearing the story about a man who found an old boot and planted it in his garden. And eventually, over time, the old boot sprouted. And guess what fruit came on the branches? It was a shoe tree. Now that could have been interesting if the shoes were of good quality. I wouldn't have minded that too much. But it, it was a fun story that gripped my imagination. But what made it so fun was its absurdity. It's almost this absurdity of what people say these days, all, all the time, every day. You prepare the field for planting, you get everything ready, you plant your boots in nice little rows, you give them plenty room to grow, and lo and behold, what do you have? You have a field of old boots. If you win people with gimmicks, you win people to gimmicks, not to Jesus Christ. If you sow the latest trends and fads that you think people want to hear, you gather a crowd, but not a sinner saved by grace. You must sow the word. The expectation of Jesus for any fruit from his ministry, for any harvest at all, rests not on personality. All techniques, all gimmicks, all fads. It didn't even rest in the miracles that Jesus performed. When the scribes and Pharisees asked for a sign in the chapter prior, he says, An evil and adulterous generation seek a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign that was given of Jonah. Jesus rests all his confidence for harvest on the proclamation of the word of the Lord. The seed is the word. Whatever else you do, however embarrassing it may think, you may think it sounds, however daft it may make you look, whatever else you do with your unconverted child, with your unbelieving colleague, with your friend who doesn't know the Jesus, you must tell them about Jesus. You have to tell them about Jesus. You must sow the weed of the seed of the word if there's going to be any prospect of a harvest. So the first question is, what is the seed that is sown? It's preaching the word. It's the gospel. It is the word. Open your mouth. Be bold. Speak for Jesus. I think sometimes, and it's so right, because, you know, we pin all of our hopes on, well, people will see that I'm different. Yeah, they'll see you're different, but they don't know what you're different about. You have to tell them that there is full and free forgiveness found alone in Jesus. 
Secondly, by whom is the seed sown? What is the seed? It is the word. By whom is the seed sown? Who is the sower in the parable? Well, the context helps us here. In verses 1 and 2 and 3 of chapter 13, he says, Jesus went out of his house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And he told them many things in parables. Mark just says, Mark is given to simply little statements, he says, he began to teach beside the sea. So Jesus is the sower. Jesus is the sower of the seed. It's a simple one, but I think we must continue to insist upon it even now. It is true, we're all called to sow the seed of the word of the gospel. Particularly gospel preachers of to sow the word in ministry. But the, Lord, the New Testament teaches us that even then it is still Jesus, that Jesus remains the sower of the seed. The word of the kingdom is the word of Christ. And when the preacher, or when you say what the scriptures say, faithful and accurate, faithfully and accurately, Christ himself says it. He is sowing the seed of his word through you and through me. Paul makes that point very clearly in Romans 10. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now, our English version slightly obscures what Paul is saying when he says, and how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? The Greek actually says, how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? It makes all the difference in the world. Paul is saying when preachers preach the word faithfully, who is it they hear in the word, not just the voice of the preacher, but the voice of the Lord Jesus. You hear him in the ministry of the word. That's why we call it the ministry of the word. Now that is two startling implications among many. First, does that not highlight for us the glory of preaching and the wonder of sharing the gospel? Every time you open your mouth to tell somebody about Jesus, something supernatural is happening. Whenever the Scriptures are faithfully expounded. Christ is sowing the seed in his field. It's not just a preacher boringly lecturing or droning on. It's not the Christian friend on his soapbox with his unconverted neighbours. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who is sowing the seed of his word in human hearts. What a privilege to us that something as glorious and dramatic and mighty as that should happen. And we should be the instruments of it, sinners though we are. Paul spoke about the treasures in jars of clay. And that, although different metaphor, the treasure of the gospel. What are we but old clay pots? And what a treasure entrusted to us that Christ himself is speaking to the world and he is calling sinners to salvation. The second application of Christ being the sower 
is it reminds us once again of his sovereignty. Verse 18, Jesus himself names the parable of the sower. And if you think about it for a moment, that is an interesting title for the parable because we hear nothing about the sower in the story. The focus is on the soil. So why is the parable of the sower, why is it called the parable of the sower and everyone knows it and it's called it in the scripture rather than the parable of the soils as some prefer? Well, perhaps it's intended to remind us that the sower owns the field. The field is his, the seed is his, the crop is his. As we begin this little mini-series of sermons, let us acknowledge his lordship in the matter of salvation. We miss this, an emphasis of the passage is lost to us. It is intended to comfort and encourage us as we see the different responses to the gospel. So many of them negative. And we wonder what is going on. And we're losing heart. Nothing gives me more heart, gives me more courage to carry on. More gold boldness to continue to preach. Why would I do it? I sometimes say to myself, why? To keep praying, to keep witnessing, to keep preaching. Remember to whom the field belongs. Who is the head of the church? Jesus Christ. To whom does the field belong? Jesus Christ. To whom does the seed belong? Jesus Christ. It is all his, not ours. Our task is not to make more Christians. Our task is not to create the harvest. Our task is to broadcast the seed. The good news of the gospel. We live in a world that is so desperately short of good news. When there isn't bad enough news, they make some more up. They don't want good news. It doesn't sell newspapers. But brothers and sisters, there is good news that ultimately matters, and that is that Jesus saves sinners. That Jesus is the saviour of sinners like me. How is the seed sown, thirdly? What is the seed? The seed is the word. Who sows the seed? Jesus. Thirdly, how is the seed sown? Indiscriminately. Indiscriminately. If I can be a little provocative, it's almost carelessly, without regard as to where it falls. It falls on the path that marks the boundary of the field, where the ground is hard-packed and baked solid. It falls on the rocky ground, where there is just enough topsoil to penetrate, but the roots can't go down deep. And there's a layer of impenetrable rock, like my head, underneath the surface. The seeds fall on the margins of the field, where there are weeds and there's thorns that choke it. And it falls on deep, rich, fertile soil, which produces much fruit. It's the same seed falling all over the place. And the image is not of a farmer walking in nice, neat little lines like I would. Sometimes, you know, I mean, I can be quite compulsive in how I arrange things on my desk and it annoys me if something is just slightly out of place. I wouldn't do very well with this in that sense because this is not the idea of these neat little rows and with his thumb he pushes a single seed. 
and deliberately into the best soil so he gets the best bumper crop. That is not the image at all. You know, it's, it's of a guy with, with a bag that's just spilling over, just wandering all over the place. And he's walking up and he's taking fists and just hurling it in the air until the ground is covered with seed with no regard as to where it might fall. Now we believe that salvation is the work of God alone. Only the elect of God believe the gospel. And no one believed that more firmly than Jesus Christ himself. When the people of Chorazin and Bethsaida didn't respond to him in repentance, immediately he turned to prayer and he rehearsed the sovereignty of God in election. I thank you, Lord, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. This is a strong statement of the doctrine of election and irresistible calling as you'll find anywhere in Scripture. But with that reminder of God's sovereignty ringing in his ears, what does Jesus do next? Does he say, I was wrong to go to Bethsaida and Chorazin and preach to everyone like that? No, listen to what he does. Come to me, all you labour and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to you, me, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What a message for today. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus sees no contradiction between the sovereignty of God and the free and full invitation to all, without distinction, to come and believe in him. The hymn writer said, and we'll sing it at the end actually, Happy if with my latest breath I may but gasp his name, preach him to all, and cry in death, Behold, behold, the Lamb. Preach him to all, without distinction, to every class, every person, the whole world. I almost want to tell you, just go running out of here and shout, Jesus is Lord. He is the saviour for you. Come and trust him. We have to be willing to be seen as stupid in the eyes of the world if we're going to sow indiscriminately. So what is the seed? It is the word. By whom is it sown? Jesus Christ. How is it sown? Indiscriminately. Where is the seed sown? It is sown in the heart. It enters by the ear. It must penetrate the understanding and the heart responds. But the seed of the word is sown in the heart. That means, as the parable of the sower demonstrates, what you do with the seed of the word lays bare the truth about your heart. The parable starts to get uncomfortable at this point. Jesus characterises brilliantly the four possible heart responses to the word of God. And his description of each soil type 
is meant to make us search our own hearts. The one thing that is not mentioned in the parable is the preparation of the ground. That is your work, and it's my work, not his work. We must pull up the weeds that compete for our attention with the word of Christ. We, we, we must dig out those rocks that stop the word sinking roots into our hearts. We must plough the ground of our hearts so the word can penetrate. The fault Jesus teaches the disciples is not with the sower. It isn't with the seed. It isn't with the method. It is with the soil. What sort of soil is your heart? How have you come today? Sincerely. You don't have to answer, tell, tell me, but tell, at least be honest with yourself. How have you prepared today to hear the word of Jesus? Will the word of Jesus be brushed away because you don't like me? Will it lie on the surface? Or will it penetrate? Or will it bear fruit? And if there is no fruit, Jesus teaches, the fault is ours. You will have to give an account. You will have to give an account. And one last thing before we close. I cannot help wondering if it was a little bit discouraging for the disciples to hear Jesus' proportions. Three failed to respond. Three failed to respond and only one flourished. Is Jesus saying that only one in four are saved? Is he saying that you can only be guaranteed 25% yield on the evangelistic efforts? No, I think he's saying that while many people will reject the message or seem to respond with gladness and fall away, do not be discouraged. Do not be discouraged. I really felt strongly this morning the Lord saying to me, do not be discouraged. Do not be discouraged. There will be a harvest. I think that it, we're thinking, well, I'll only be encouraged if lockdown finishes forever and we never hear the word again. But be, be encouraged about this, that there is going to be a harvest. So keep sowing the seed. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't stop. Broadcast the seed of the word. Be hungry to hear the word. Don't make hearing the word your least priority. Make it your first. Be about the word of God. Don't be about everything else and then rather grumpily tag on the word of God. No, keep preaching the gospel. Tell them about Jesus because one thing is sure, one thing is sure, the king is coming again. The king is coming again and the harvest is coming. May the Lord bless the word for his glory but for our good. I say that every time I finish but I mean it. Because it is for his glory, but it's for our good. Believe in Jesus. Hear the word. For his name's sake. Amen.